the dawn of something new. Part 3 of the Sugar We Are Going Down Swingin' series. A Good Omens Potfic, written by anime angel Riku and read by Literarian. Chapter 1 Aziraphale hates to admit it, but the truth of the matter is that he is quite nervous. He has several reasons to be nervous, he supposes, so there is no shame in being a tad out of his wits, but that does nothing to alleviate his anxiety. Think of it as a blind date, Aziraphale tells himself, but that also fails almost immediately. He has been on blind dates before, and he knows this is not it. Firstly, he knows exactly what the person he's meeting looks like. Or, well, he knows what his face looks like, sort of. The only pictures he received were from the neck up, and the man was wearing sunglasses in all of them, so all Aziraphale was able to see of him was his fire-red hair, his sharp jaw, his lovely cheekbones, and an enticing... Marvelous mouth. Ahem. Secondly, a date would entail meeting with someone with whom one hoped to establish a romantic relationship. This is more of a mutually beneficial relationship, and one where, as Raphael read during his research, romantic feelings are usually not welcome. In fact, it seems to be quite dangerous for romance to enter this sort of arrangement, and Aziraphale is decided to do this right, properly, as he should. Besides, he knows he's getting well on his years. He's had romantic partners in the past, but not for some time, and not for lack of trying. He has no delusions of enamoring a man who is not only younger than him, but also interested in what he can offer him, not in the pursuit of a romantic relationship. That's fine. That's perfectly all right. Aziraphale knows what he wants out of this, and that's certainly all that matters. He simply hopes the man he's meeting with today will be amenable enough to at least hear him out. That's why he agreed to this meeting, isn't it? Surely Aziraphale's ad was specific enough, wasn't it? Although he really should have had someone else read over it, but he was afraid he would lose his nerve, so he just went to the paper... Aziraphale shakes his head to himself and takes a sip of his tea. The worst that can happen is the man doesn't agree to his terms and leaves, and Aziraphale has suffered worse. He needs to breathe and calm down before he makes a fool out of himself. Just as he's inhaling deeply to try to steady his anxious heartbeat, he hears a car pulling up into the property and tugs nervously at his waistcoat. 
he waits for the sound of a door being closed, followed by the ring of the doorbell. This is it, he muses with an exhale. Don't muck it all up now. Aziraphale makes his way through the foyer and towards the front door, clearing his throat to himself before pulling it open. The words, hello, good afternoon, are on the tip of his tongue, ready to start this off with the right foot and a polite greeting, but then he gets his first proper look at the man in front of him and his greeting catches in his mouth. The pictures he received do not do Mr. A.J. Crowley justice at all. Although he is not much taller than Aziraphale, he appears to be much more so because of his lithe figure, which Aziraphale can perfectly see because of the black shirt with the frankly inappropriately low neckline he's wearing, along with black trousers that seem to be painted on because of how tight they are, hugging his hips and his thighs and his calves just right. And when Aziraphale makes himself look up at the area above his torso, he's left equally breathless. Oh, his jaw is so much sharper in person, his cheekbones so much lovelier, his mouth so much more marvellous and enticing, and Aziraphale has the sudden urge to swipe his tongue over that beautiful bottom lip. And his hair... Good Lord! Aziraphale wants to run his hands through it. He wonders if it's as silky as it looks. Mr. Crowley, even with the sunglasses still poised on his face, is a masterpiece, is the bottom line here. He's so starstruck that he can't speak, his tongue slow and heavy in his mouth. Every possible greeting sounds inadequate to his ears. Mr. A.J. Crowley raises a perfectly curved eyebrow. Mr. Fell, I presume? God almighty, Aziraphale very nearly whimpers at the sound of his voice. Yes, he stammers, wincing at himself. But please, come in, he says, gesturing the man inside with a wave of his arm. Mr. Crowley follows Aziraphale through the foyer and back to the outdoor lounge, where Aziraphale laid tea, coffee and a charcuterie board. He sits down in the same place he was occupying earlier and watches with startling fascination how Mr. Crowley unceremoniously flops down onto the sofa across from him, crossing one leg over the other and throwing his arms over the backrest. He looks as though he has not a care in the world. Thank you so much for coming, Mr. Crowley. Crowley. Aziraphale blinks. Beg your pardon? Crowley. 
the man repeats, pushing his sunglasses up into his hair and giving a shake of his head. None of that Mr. Shite. When his eyes turn to Aziraphale, he has to bite back a gasp. Mr. Crowley has such incredibly beautiful eyes. Their colour a bright hazel that is almost golden in the early afternoon light. They're so intense and hypnotising, like the eyes of a predator stalking its next victim. Azir Raphael might be in over his head. Crowley, he says, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me, Mr. Fell. Please, just Aziraphale will do. Crowley tilts his head slightly down and then up again, and the corner of his lips curl into a smirk that makes Aziraphale hot beneath his collar. He can't remember the last time someone looked him over so unabashedly. He can't remember if someone ever has. Oh, I wouldn't say you're just anything, Crowley purrs. Goodness gracious, how is Aziraphale meant to get through an entire conversation with this man? Regardless, he takes another sip of tea to dampen his suddenly dry throat. I'd much rather you call me Aziraphale. There is a small pause, which is not uncommon. Aziraphel knows his name is odd, to say the least, and he's accustomed to people trying to remember the number of syllables and the pronunciation before either giving up or trying and failing miserably. He doesn't take it personally. That's just how things are. He waits for Crowley to ask him to repeat it, or spell it, or write it down. Perhaps he'll ask for his second name, or a nickname, or something else he can call him. But Crowley simply inhales deeply. Aziraphale, he says slowly, letting the name roll off his tongue as he tastes the vowels and consonants, feels the shape of them. Aziraphale has never heard his name spoken like that. Pleasure to meet you. Likewise, he breathes. So, before we begin, do you mind if I ask you a question? Not at all. Crowley answers. Have you ever been in a relationship of this sort? You mean if I've ever been a sugar baby? He replies with a smugness that should not be as attractive as it is. Aziraphale greatly dislikes that term, as well as the sugar daddy title, but he supposes there isn't much he can do about them. No, never. To be honest, I don't really know what it means to be one. How? Oh. oh, good. This is something Aziraphale can deal with. 
He did his due research, so he wouldn't be caught off guard, assuming the potential answer to his ad would know more about the subject than him. Well, it depends on the people involved, as far as I'm aware. The um, terms and conditions, so to speak, are not always the same and they can always be negotiated. This is, after all, a mutually beneficial relationship. Is there anything specific you expect to get out of this? Other than the money, I guess. Crowley shrugs a nonchalant shoulder. Not really. Don't know what's on offer, so I thought it was better not to get any ideas. Ha, huh. Aziraphale says. That is why we're here. To establish our needs and expectations and see if they're compatible. Or if we're both willing to give it the old college try either way. Please do not hesitate to ask me anything. Crowley snorts, but the sound isn't mocking. At least, Aziraphale doesn't hear it as such. Right. Crowley nods his head and crosses his arms over his chest. His slimness betrays the gorgeous muscles of his forearms, which he has now fully put on display to Aziraphale's mortifying chagrin. He can feel his mouth watering for crying out loud. So, Crowley starts, what do you get out of this? Aziraphale clears his throat. Ahem, companionship, mostly. Another snort, this time more disbelieving than the previous one, but still not mocking. <laughs> Surely you've got men throwing themselves at you all over, fighting for your attention. Aziraphale chuckles mirthlessly. Sarcasm has never been easy for him to parse, and he doesn't know if that's how Crowley means his statement. Not lately, no, he says at last, just because he'd rather not get into how long it's been since he last went on a date, much less how long it's been since someone asked him out on one. It's sort of humiliating. If anything, Crowley must be the one with thousands of prospects to choose from, and for some reason he decided to give Aziraphale the time of day. Crowley frowns at him. He looks like he's about to push for more details, but he thankfully seems to drop it. Is that really worth throwing all your money away? Oh, it is not that dramatic. Aziraphale rolls his eyes good-naturedly. Despite donating a great part of it to various charities and organizations, I'm still fortunate enough to have much more than I know what to do with. If I can help someone else with it, I will. And that's where I come in. Correct. Am I meant to be eye-candy, then? Crowley asks cheekily, leaning back further in his seat to almost rest the sole of his boot on the edge of the coffee table between them. 
Just stand next to you and look pretty. Oh, the image is tempting, enticing. God, Crowley really is too beautiful to be interested in having something with Aziraphale, but he's not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I suppose so, yes. I was being truthful when I said I'm looking for companionship. Crowley cocks his head to the side. That can't be all you want, can it? You shower me with money and I just spend some time with you. Come on. Crowley, Aziraphale says. I will never ask you to do something you don't wish to. I have, of course, a few requirements, but as I mentioned, I am not opposed to negotiating them. At this, Crowley sits up straight, nodding gravely. The movement brings attention to the long slope of his neck, and Aziraphale has to focus on a strand of hair over his ear to keep his thoughts in a perfectly appropriate place. And these requirements are? Crowley raises his eyebrow. That you join me here every now and then? Aziraphale begins. I understand that you're a painter? That's what Crowley wrote on his application, and Aziraphale would like to know the details, if only so they can deal with any conflicting schedules that might arise. I am, yeah, Crowley tells him. But I can do that anywhere, not tied to a business or corporation or anything. Oh, Aziraphale nods. Jolly good, then. You can come and go as you please, and if you ever need another roof over your head, you're free to spend the night here, too. Mighty generous of you, Crowley says, his lips twisting into a smirk once more. How Aziraphale wants to kiss it. Do you want me to sleep in your bed with you? The image pops inside Aziraphale's brain before he can help it, before he can stop it. He pictures Crowley wrapped around him, his long, strong limbs constricting him like a boa, maybe pressing him down to the bed, perhaps letting the tip of his stunningly lithe fingers gently caress the fabric of Aziraphale's pyjamas, driving him out of his mind with heat and desire. If you want, he somehow manages to answer without his voice breaking. There are several guest rooms, but I certainly wouldn't be opposed to sharing one. Certainly. Crowley echoes, his smirk growing wider, making Aziraphale shiver. Any requirements regarding sex? Aziraphale's hand is carrying his teacup to his lips, but he thankfully doesn't get the chance to drink from it and choke. He freezes where he sits, staring at Crowley and wondering if he heard him right. 
Of course he thought about sex being part of this relationship. Of course he did. But upon meeting Crowley, Aziraphale was adamantly sure that the young man would hold no interest whatsoever in having sex with someone like him. Aziraphale knows what he looks like, and he knows what Crowley looks like. It doesn't take a genius to put two and two together. However, if Crowley wants to take this chance as some sort of stress reliever, Aziraphale isn't stupid enough to say no thank you. What kind of requirements? He asks, waiting to be sure they're on the same page. Things you want me to do to you, Crowley responds in a tone that surprises Aziraphale. He sounds almost bored, as though he's going over a script. Things you want to do to me. How many times a week you want to do it, if that's your thing. Just so I know what you're looking for. This is... Unusual. Unexpected. Shocking, honestly. Aziraphale didn't think Crowley would be so casual about this, like sex is simply something to be expected of a sugar baby. It can be, according to Aziraphale's research, but he believes that sex should be part of a relationship if, and only if, all the parties involved wish for it to be. In his humble opinion, that's why it can be so unbelievably pleasant. Aziraphale clears his throat. Ahem. Only that you are completely honest with me, he says. Do I expect us to have sex? No. Am I opposed to it? No. Remember, I won't ask you to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. I am very much willing to experiment, if that's to your liking, but you are allowed to tell me no at any point, and we stop immediately, no questions asked. Throughout this explanation, Aziraphale has watched Crowley's eyes slightly grow in size. His gaze is vulnerable in a way that catches Aziraphale unawares. Crowley exudes such confidence, such high self-esteem, that he must turn heads everywhere he goes. He's surely thought to be a really important man on a daily basis. A movie star, the chairman of the board of some prestigious company, a radio host, a self-made entrepreneur, something. Seeing him look even the slightest bit lost is strange for Aziraphale, despite the fact that he's known him for less than half an hour. He wants to erase that expression from Crowley's gorgeous, handsome face and bring him back to steady footing. So, Crowley mutters, If I say no, that's it. Just like that. Just like that, Aziraphale confirms, and his heart cracks in several places. He hates how taken aback Crowley seems to be. 
We can try whatever one of us likes, but no will always mean no unless we happen to be role-playing, he adds, his face growing hard. In which case there will, of course, be a safe word for either of us to opt out of it. Right. Crowley nods his head slowly. He notices the tea and coffee in front of him for the first time, and he skips them both to stab a piece of cheese from the charcuterie board with a toothpick. He swallows it in one bite, his teeth closing around the toothpick, and Aziraphale can't help noticing the almost but not quite fangs glinting in the corners of his mouth. He licks his lips, wishing he could be licking Crowley's teeth instead. Luckily, Crowley breaks him out of his indecent thoughts with a hum. Hmm, I guess there's only one thing left to settle then. Aziraphale's brow furrows confusedly. And what would that be? Crowley grins like the cat who got the cream. How much do I get paid and when do we start? Aziraphale is unable to stop the laugh that bubbles out of him. <laughs> I'm sorry, does that mean you agree? He demands. It sounds too good to be true that Crowley actually wants to spend time with him. Apparently, though, he does. Crowley rests his elbows on the backrest of the sofa and smiles teasingly. Hot single guy wants to pay me to stay at his giant mansion with him. Where do I sign up? Aziraphale blushes and takes another sip from his tea. He wouldn't consider himself a hot guy by any means, but he's not going to argue with Crowley about it. This man appears adamant on keeping him on his toes, and sincerely, Aziraphale cannot wait for it. There are, of course, more details and nuances to refine in an arrangement such as the one Aziraphale and Crowley are entering, and it's best to get them settled as early on as they can. Should I be spending your money a certain way? Saving it? Starting a bank account with it? Crowley questions. Once I give it to you, it stops being my money and becomes yours, Aziraphale answers. I will never ask you to explain your finances to me. You may spend it on whatever you need or want. Can I park my car here when I visit? Certainly. There is more than enough space in the garage. However, please don't leave it here unless you must, as I cannot make myself responsible for it. Am I allowed to invite people over? At this, Aziraphale bristles. He is not much for big crowds or social gatherings, but he is fully aware that it is his prerogative and not necessarily everyone else's. I would much rather you didn't, though I can make an exception if you let me know in advance. 
as long as it's not for a party or any event of the sort. Besides not caring for large groups of people invading his personal space, Aziraphale's home houses a couple of antiques, and his personal library is the envy of several book dealers. Crowley's mouth twitches into a smirk before softening. Fair enough. Anything else I need to know? Aziraphale pauses and tries to make a mental list of everything they have gone through and what else might pose a problem. I can have a copy of my keymate if that feels more comfortable for you, he says. But if you were to misuse it, I would confiscate it. One of his siblings used to have one, making Aziraphale's anxiety the size of a mountain for years, until he was brave enough to change the locks and tell Gabriel he couldn't come in whenever he wanted, especially if Aziraphale wasn't home. In the end, Gabriel said it wasn't worth his time and that Aziraphale could ruin Mother's old house all on his own if he so pleased. To his immense relief, his brother has kept true to his word. Fits all right with you, Crowley says. It's fine if that's where you draw the line. Aziraphale can't help the raised eyebrow he gives him. The man has no qualms discussing a potential sexual relationship with him, but having a copy of Aziraphale's key is too much? Crowley snorts adorably, and the sound nestles itself in Aziraphale's chest. <laughs> right, gotcha. It'd probably be easier, yeah? Indeed. You mentioned before that you want me to join you here every now and then. Crowley starts, stabbing another piece of cheese from the board. You want a set time? Like two hours daily, three days a week, something like that? Nothing as set in stone, no, no. Aziraphale shakes his head. He doesn't want to be that kind of person, demanding a certain amount of time from someone whose schedule is as unpredictable as an independent worker's. Then again, that's part of the reason why he's doing this to begin with. But I would like to see you at least once a week, even, <clears throat> even more if you're amenable. He isn't looking at Crowley when he says this, instead drinking his tea and focusing on the cup. He doesn't see any reason why Crowley would want to spend more time with him than necessary, but nothing is gained without risk, is it? Seeing the stunning man once a week will be enough to get Aziraphale through. It has to be. When he looks back at Crowley, though, his chin is tilted slightly up, as if he's just accepted some sort of challenge. Aziraphale, he says, and Aziraphale awkwardly shuffles his feet to cover the shiver that runs down his spine. What this man's voice 
does to him. I'll be here so often you'll get sick of me. Impossible, is what Aziraphale almost replies. Highly unlikely, is what he says. Which, come to think of it, is not all that different. Crowley's eyes twinkle like he can read between the lines, like he can hear how Aziraphale already yearns for his presence. Aziraphale hopes Crowley didn't say that just out of the kindness of his heart, because if he did, he'll be crushed, and yet he will somehow have to find a way to hide the disappointment in their future meetings. Still, Crowley doesn't seem like the type of person to talk simply because it's expected of him. He seems to be someone who speaks his mind and is silent when he has nothing to say. In fact, he shows this by following up with, Are dates allowed? Aziraphale blinks. Is Crowley asking what he thinks he is? Does Crowley want to take him out on dates? As in... Crowley adds when Aziraphale doesn't respond. Is it okay for us to go out somewhere, or is our time together meant exclusively for your house? Oh, no, no, I... Um, we can go somewhere, of course. I don't expect us to stay here all the time. There it is again, that twinkle in Crowley's eyes. It makes Aziraphale's nerves stand on edge, as if Crowley can see deep into his soul with a simple look. Aziraphale has never been a good liar. He struggles even with lies of omission, but he doesn't think he's that much of an open book either. He certainly hopes he isn't, despite what Crowley makes him think. Great. What about being exclusive? The words bring Aziraphale's brain to a stop. It has been such a long time since he was in a relationship that he doesn't know what Crowley means at first. But when it finally does dawn on him, he feels heat crawl up the back of his neck and he drinks from his tea to give himself a moment to think. Being exclusive in an arrangement such as this is asking a bit too much, isn't it? Aziraphale isn't looking for a relationship, he's just asking for some companionship as not to feel so lonely all the time. Granted, Crowley already said he's open to the prospect of having sex, but that's not the same as asking him not to be with anyone else. What if he already has a romantic partner? Or any other kind of partner? Aziraphale really should have asked first. Are you seeing anyone? Not at the moment, Crowley answers. Haven't for a while. Are you planning in the foreseeable future? He snorts 
and then clears his throat to cover the noise. <coughs> Probably not, to be honest. Aziraphale glances down at his lap. That doesn't mean he won't meet someone soon, and wouldn't Aziraphale be terribly selfish to keep such a beautiful, tempting man to himself? To force Crowley to be faithful to him as part of their arrangement? He wants to, though. Good Lord, how he wants to. I... I will not hold you back in... in case you happen to enter a relationship while this lasts, he settles on. But if that were to occur, I'd ask you not to tell me. That seems fair, doesn't it? Crowley can do whatever he wants, and if he starts dating someone else, or sleeping with someone else, Aziraphale doesn't have to know. That way, he can pretend otherwise. He's good with pretending. Ignorance is bliss and all that. Crowley hums thoughtfully, his eyes never leaving Aziraphale. He's quiet for so long that Aziraphale begins to fear he said the wrong thing, and he thinks of how to take it back, how to rephrase it, how to... Nah, don't think that's gonna happen, Crowley huffs, his tone smug, and Aziraphale blinks in surprise. I'd much rather hang out with you. Oh, that's such a dangerous thing to say. Aziraphale gives Crowley a shaky smile to keep his mind occupied with the conversation so it doesn't start giving shape to more indecent thoughts. Thank you, he says, feeling like it's the least he can do. Hard to believe that someone like Crowley doesn't have better things to do, but he appreciates being humoured, if nothing else. Well then, Crowley gets to his feet. Aziraphale rises with him. I think we've settled everything, eh? I do believe so, he agrees. And if they've forgotten anything, it can always come up later. Crowley picks up his sunglasses from the coffee table and places them back on his face. Aziraphale nearly sighs in disappointment. Crowley has such beautiful eyes, too beautiful to be covered by those shades. There isn't all that much sun in London to need them, and Crowley did take them off during the entirety of their meeting, but perhaps he has simply grown accustomed to them. Perhaps his eyes are sensitive to the light after prolonged exposure? Well, it's not Aziraphale's place to ask about something that might be personal to Crowley. Not yet, anyway. They walk back to the front door, and their shoulders brush every few steps, and Aziraphale wonders if Crowley feels the same spark every time they do, like he does. Then he shakes his head. 
he needs to calm down. He's too old to be feeling this way about someone he just met, especially someone as gorgeous and confident as Crowley, who surely isn't feeling sparks with every brush of his shoulder against an old man's. When they reach the door, Crowley turns to him, and Aziraphale nearly crashes against his chest. It was a real pleasure, Aziraphale, Crowley says, the timbre of his voice sending shivers down Aziraphale's spine. Looking forward to our arrangement. He holds out a hand, and Aziraphale is, luckily, not trembling when he shakes it. So am I, my dear. The endearment makes it past his lips before he can stop it, and he presses his mouth into a line. But Crowley simply raises an eyebrow and then smirks, seemingly amused. He leans forward slightly, almost unnoticeably, and Aziraphale stares. They are so close to each other now, he can feel Crowley's breath, and nearly see the colour of his eyes through the tinted glasses. In the blink of an eye, Crowley's head tips down to press his mouth to the place where Aziraphale's ear joins with his jaw. A quick, chaste thing that can barely be called a kiss, in all honesty, and yet Aziraphale's eyes go wide and the air catches in his lungs and the world stops turning. Crowley is smirking at him again, except this time the gesture is cocky and triumphant and Aziraphale very much wants to snog the daylights out of him. I'll see you tomorrow then, Crowley says. He swivels on his feet and sachets to his car parked right outside the door. Aziraphale's gaze is pulled to those sinful hips of his as they move, and he's overcome with the desire to hold them in his hands, to grip them so he can pull Crowley as close as they were just a moment ago and bite at his neck. Ciao. Crowley calls over his shoulder before he climbs inside his car and drives out the electric gates, all while Aziraphale stands at his door and slowly waves goodbye with his hand, still feeling the shadow of Crowley's gorgeous mouth on his jaw. He is most definitely in over his head. In Aziraphale's defense, setting the ground rules for a mutually beneficial and possibly even sexual arrangement is quite different to putting those rules into practice. Although Crowley mentioned the idea of going on dates and spending time together, Aziraphale thought they would maybe have tea at a cafe once or sit in awkward silence on his sofa or for him to do one activity while Crowley did another one at the same time 
thus technically fulfilling his part of the deal. He never expected Crowley to show up the day following the start of their arrangement, cocky smirk in place and his hips against the doorframe, and demand that they go out. Out where? Aziraphale asks, only a little dumbfounded. Just out, Crowley says with a shrug. Thought you could use some fresh air. I get fresh air here, Aziraphale argues, and then he chastises himself for arguing. Crowley wants to take him somewhere, for heaven's sake, and here he is, mucking it all up. Sure, Crowley goes on, unbothered. But you can't exactly go for a ride staying here, can you? I could, if you stay here with me. Aziraphale thinks. The small, still rational part of his mind thankfully reigns the greater, very much aroused part back in before he can make an idiot out of himself. Unless, of course, you have other plans. No, he yells. Uh, No, I, I don't. We could just stay here too. Crowley offers. Contrary to what Aziraphale has experienced in the past, the offer doesn't hold any guilt-tripping or accusation, nor is it said with any hint of resignation or eye-rolling. It's an honest suggestion given to make him more comfortable to step within his boundaries rather than pull him out of them against his will. That would be horribly rude of us, Aziraphale says, after you drove all the way here. It is a lousy excuse if he's ever heard one, but Crowley grins wickedly, as though it is some sort of inside joke between them. Then let's go, he says, and Aziraphale knows right then and there that he will follow Crowley to the ends of the world. Crowley drives them through the streets of London, going entirely too fast for comfort and for the speed limits, and Aziraphale clings to the seat, his heart in his throat. He doesn't own a car himself, despite his siblings' attempts to stop him from relying on public transport, and they only ever bothered to send a car for him when they couldn't go to his house, so Aziraphale isn't exactly used to the recklessness with which Crowley holds the steering wheel and manoeuvres between lanes. But at the first red light they stop, Crowley turns his head to him, the corner of his mouth curled upwards. Aziraphale, he drawls, enunciating every syllable with a care that is staggering and shiver-inducing. Yes? Aziraphale asks, hoping Crowley doesn't notice the raised hairs on the back of his neck. Named after an angel, were you? I was, he admits, a bit nervous. 
every single one of the fell children was, but only his name turned out to be a nuisance. Aziraphale fell. Gabriel often liked to joke that their parents had never even given him a chance. Aziraphale has the memorized speech on the tip of his tongue, ready to explain that his namesake is not an archangel but a principality, an angel of protection, and yes, he's perfectly aware of how strange it sounds when spoken aloud. He spent all his school years hearing chuckles and mocking laughter when teachers called his name. He knows. But Crowley merely hums. Suits you, he says. You look like one. Aziraphale tries to find the sarcasm in his words. There isn't any, which is even more shocking. I'm sorry. You look like one, Crowley repeats, turning his attention back to the road when the light changes. Although Aziraphale waits for him to elaborate on his statement, he doesn't. Like that is a perfectly reasonable thing to say to a man over 40, dressed in even older trousers and sweater vests and shoes that fell out of fashion several decades ago. Well, <clears throat> that is very kind of you to say. Crowley raises an eyebrow. Aziraphale can feel his eyes on him through the shades. Come on, Crowley scoffs suddenly. I can't be the first person to call you that. Aziraphale makes a non-committal sound, trying his best to keep the bitterness out of it. I can assure you, you are, he says. He's been called hundreds of things before, and Angel is not one of them. In the last few years, it's mostly been Gabriel calling him by the same childhood nicknames Aziraphale has always despised, but sometimes Michael will murmur one of them under her breath, too. At this, Crowley looks at him straight on and slams his foot on the brake so quickly that the car screeches to a stop and Aziraphale has to throw a hand to the roof in order to keep himself from falling. He stares questioningly at Crowley, who pushes his glasses up into his hair and ignores the angry honking of cars behind them. Has every person who's ever met you been blind? He demands, with a rage that surprises Aziraphale. You're a fucking angel on earth, and if anyone can't see that, it's their fucking loss. Then he lowers his shades back onto his face and keeps driving without giving Aziraphale the chance to respond. Not that Aziraphale knows how to respond to that. Sure, Crowley called him hot yesterday, and Aziraphale can objectively say he's not bad-looking, but an angel? Well, Crowley sniffs. Worked out for me in the end. 
he pulls his shades down the bridge of his nose to honest-to-God wink over their ridge, and Haziraphale has to bite back an awestruck, startled giggle. It still makes its way out as a decidedly unattractive snort. <laughs> You're quite the charmer, aren't you, Crowley? He replies, only for Crowley to wink at him again and give him a boyish smirk as he shrugs nonchalantly. Just saying it like it is. Aziraphale smiled so joyfully that his cheeks start to hurt. He doesn't care. Crowley takes them to St. James Park, where they take a slow, leisurely stroll. Crowley asks Aziraphale what he usually likes to do in his giant mansion, and Aziraphale immediately responds, It's not a mansion, because it really isn't. It's his mother's ancient house, which she inherited from her, and it is as much a part of London as the very park they're in. And it's also a mansion. Crowley adds, almost teasingly. Aziraphale rolls his eyes. I don't do much, really, he confesses, his cheeks growing hot in embarrassment at the admission. I like reading, mostly. I did notice you have a ton of books. Crowley mutters as his hands apparently look for something in the pockets of his incredibly tight trousers. Oh, the ones in the foyer are only from the 19th century, Aziraphale says before he can think better of it. I have a very extensive collection, though it's unfortunately separated into various rooms of the house. It'd be much easier if I could keep them all in the same place, but I suppose that's part of their appeal. He doesn't notice how much he has rambled on until he catches Crowley staring at him with an expression he can't quite read. Oh. Aziraphale twists his fingers, a nervous habit that used to drive his father mad. That's not at all exciting, is it? Maybe not to some. Crowley relents with a one-armed shrug. But it is to you, yeah? That's what matters. The sheer casualty of his words stuns Aziraphale, and he trips slightly on the pavement before righting himself and keeping up with Crowley's pace. He is so used to being considered a bookworm, a bit of a hermit, a boring old soul, things of that sort. He is the only one of his siblings who wasn't a musical prodigy by the age of eleven, who couldn't play any sports to save his life, who spent the holidays curled up in a hidden crook of the house reading Jane Austen novels while his siblings showed off their talents to the rest of the family. And yet Crowley, who should by all means laugh at his lifestyle, has no cruel words for him. 
not even the smallest gesture of disdain. It beggars the imagination. So, Crowley carries on, as if he hasn't turned Aziraphale's world upside down once again. What do you like to read? Aziraphale finds himself talking through the entirety of their stroll, and not once does Crowley look bored while listening to him. Even when they stop by the pond and Crowley starts throwing birdseed from his pockets at the ducks gathering close by, he keeps his focus on Aziraphale, only turning to the pond when two ducks start pecking and squawking aggressively at each other. Oi! he calls out to them. Shockingly, the ducks freeze, like two children caught bickering. Stop that! There's more where that came from! Crowley pulls more birdseed from his pockets to throw into the pond, and the ducks go about their business. Aziraphale watches the interaction with a smile he hopes doesn't come across as infatuated as he feels. Crowley continues to subvert every one of his expectations, and he can't believe that a man like him is willingly here, by his side, listening to him talk about Spanish poets. Sorry, they're always like this, Crowley says. What were you saying about Lorca? Aziraphale tries his best to pick up where he left off, and they go and have lunch at a small bistro nearby, and Crowley drives him home when the sun starts going down, and Aziraphale is desperate to kiss him the entire time.